Well, Susanna, welcome back to the uh, Better Conflicts podcast, the Cedar Better Conflicts podcast. Um, in the previous podcast in this uh, series on conflict styles, we looked at conflict styles, conflict pre preferences. We looked at an overview of them, um, what it involves, why it's important to understand it, and this concept about moving from style to strategy. In this podcast, we're going to look at specifically the accommodating style. Um, so, without further ado, accommodating. Um, this is a style that, that's quite common in Great Britain, from what I understand. What does it mean to be an accommodator or to adopt an accommodating style? Yeah, so that was, of course, one of my provocations as an interculturalist. We're never politically correct, we interculturalists. So when I, as an anecdote, when I moved to the UK, that was eight years ago, and you know when you move to a new country, the first three months is like you're an alien country, you discover all these things and think, my God, this is really strange. And then it becomes normal. So I had to commute and I, of course, you know that as well, you're on the tube or on a train and it's normally fairly full, so especially in London. And you make contact with lots of people you don't know, with strangers, which of course now in COVID times would not be possible. And then you feel like, um, well, how, how sometimes it's stressful. And I heard the word sorry all the time. So I was on the tube and I think I, I started counting it. It was, I think on one journey of 10 minutes, it was possibly 20 times. And I thought, okay, why do people say sorry all the time? And then I observed a little bit closer what's going on here. And I thought people are really embarrassed. So it's also the fear of embarrassment. So they want to apologize already to please someone and not risking to be in conflict, but also to be liked or something that was my interpretation. So not to offend anyone. And when I listened to conversations, hence when you asked me, um, I think it was in one of your podcasts, you asked me, so which languages do you speak? And I say British English or British accents. So British English for me was another thing I had to learn. So double negotiations, triple negotiations, instead of saying, I don't like that, I like that, you would say, I'm modestly fond of that. Or I might consider to think about the possibility of choosing this or that. So it's quite an interesting way to how to express things. But of course, it's impossible to be offended because it, it's so elegant, but it's a secret code. People would know this was a total insult right now, but it's so nicely covered up that it's not possible. So that was my conclusion that accommodating or people pleasing, if you use another little bit more provocative term, is possibly a preferred style in the UK but that doesn't mean that everyone in the UK behaves like that. Yeah, it's an interesting point because uh, talk about your experience of coming to the UK. I uh, lived in the Netherlands for three years and encountered quite a different, and you can't, you must be careful not to stereotype, but generally speaking, Absolutely. quite quite a different um, approach to, to conversations or, or conflict or whatever. It was much more abrupt. Um, and and as, a, as, a, as a Brit and, and speaking to fellow Brits who were over in the Netherlands, we, we were quite taken aback with how, forthright people were with their opinion everything from um the way you dressed that day to to politics um so it is really interesting to see how um based on your cultural you know background how people um generally speaking obviously we don't want to stereotype adopt a different approach to, to situations and that 
exactly what you just said. Let's reframe that to move away from the stereotypes. So when Thomas and Kilman came up with this idea of conflict preferences, they framed it as you behave what you perceive as socially acceptable. And you want to give the version of you which is the most socially acceptable one where you think you fit in. Because in the end, a human need is to fit in and to belong and not to be singled out. Because in cavemen times, that meant you will not survive. So adopting a style which is through upbringing, through climate, whatever the influences are, why people behave in a certain way, means you will adopt that style to be able to fit in and survive. Mm. When that is, uh, we could now, there's lots of research done, what does that mean on a national level, but also when you go to different organizations, you will feel different ways how to express yourself. And that comes from a certain culture that was built and possibly nurtured. Mm -hmm. So, so moving the conversation back towards the accommodating style. So what are the sort of telltale signs of somebody who, who is an accommodator or has an accommodating approach to conflict or conversations or interactions generally? Yeah, so I have definitely a tendency to accommodating. I want to please people. I want people, I want to serve them. I want to say, yes, of course I can do that. And you will rarely hear a no from someone who is accommodating. So they invest in relationships. They really would rather put themselves second. So if you look in the services industry or our glorious NHS workers, they would possibly most have an accommodating style because they are there to serve. And possibly we, again, stereotyping is always difficult. We mediators might be a little bit more accommodating um, because we, are, we embrace that profession because we want to help people. So, yeah, it's normally pleasant to work with and we, we go into the costs and benefits a little bit later, I'm sure. It's some normally the people you would ask for a favor because you know they will do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and so you, you rarely hear no from somebody who's an accommodator. I think we'll maybe later on discuss how to, well, how to say no or effective ways to say no. But... Uh, Maybe this is something we should have said earlier. There isn't one right or wrong style. Um, so it, it's more about understanding the costs and benefits of, of, of a particular style and understanding when to deploy it and, and when not to. But looking at accommodating, what are the sort of advantages of this, of this style typically? Yeah, so clearly one of the key benefits for accommodating is that you create reciprocity. So if I... You ask me for a favor, I do that for you. You feel immediately, you feel immediately that you have to give back to me. It, it starts even with a small thing like um, I pay you a coffee. You will invite me possibly the next week. So that is something which is, again, a very human um, instinct or how we are built. So by doing something for someone, you will create reciprocity, which can be in negotiations, be quite smart, especially if you have something to offer which is of super high value to someone else. Possibly, for example, I have a nice office chair. You want that. I give it to you. It's not really relevant for me because I'm happy to sit in another chair. And you will then feel immensely grateful 
because you received something you really wanted and I gave up something that wasn't of really high value for me. So that is a strategic way to use it and it's a benefit. And to be, um, especially when, when it's about relationships and you want to build rapport and you know you really have to give in a little bit more and build, I call it the trust credit. So I will pull back a little bit with my, what I want to see what the other person wants and then build trust and relationship before I dare to speak about what, uh, what I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at, at some of the potential downsides of adopting this style of the time or, or just in any particular situation, what can be some of the disadvantages? So the disadvantages always kick in if you overuse the style. I think we have to differentiate. There is the strategic moment to use it. And then it's overusing it over time because then you will create certain expectations in people. If I always say yes, if I always give in, I will lose out long-term. I will rarely get what I want. And if my intention was to invest in relationships, the relationship itself will be threatened because if you know I will always give in and you will always get what you want, you will not respect me anymore. So I think the downside is really you will be perceived as someone, well, let's call it doormat. <laughs> That's, I think, one of those analogies I heard on training programs. So it is something that is not is seen as a weakness. Mm -hmm. And whilst it might not be, but that behavior when overused clearly is like a flatline. You invest in only one thing, but you will not develop your assertiveness. Mm -hmm. Presumably, if you're, if you're giving in all the time, you're not getting what you want, and that could potentially lead to um, disenchantment on your part if you're involved in a, in a, in a team or a particular project. It may even make you resentful. So, so always in, down the line, from what I understand, can, can cause a lot of problems for you, um, but also the people you work with. Yeah, and if you think of teams again, you mentioned that as well. If you, in a team, you want people, as we said, to dare to disagree at times, not always, but you want that. And if you're not able to do this, your opinion will not be, you will not be heard and you will not be taken seriously. And that, of course, will cause long-term damage to yourself. You, we will become unhappy, that is for sure. Yeah. So now, now if we look at some of the sort of top tips that you've that you've got for helping people who who find themselves accommodating perhaps more than they should, how can they sort of get the most out of this style or, or improve how they approach conflict or everyday situations? Yeah, so accommodating is already a good starting point for people who are people persons. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's a good way not to beat yourself up and say, okay, I possibly say too often yes, but on the other hand, I'm really keen to get a team uh, going that everyone understands each other. So that is your need. That can be met in different ways, not by saying yes all the time. So by knowing there are other ways which make you happier as well to do that, that is the starting point to become aware and also aware that you have to feel a little bit uncomfortable to move towards a more assertive style. 
think you have to be true to yourself at some point. What's the benefit for me doing that all the time and explore yourself? And then I say go on a no course. <laughs> um, we have actually in, in our training, I have a 10-minute exercise where we just practice the word no. And you can't imagine how difficult that is because saying no is really tough, even for those people who think they can say no easily. And no means I have to admit to myself that by saying no, I of course will exclude a possibility. So those people suffering FOMO, fear of missing out, will often accommodate, but at some stage you have to make a decision and live with the consequence that you miss out on something, but you might miss uh, or, or live something different, which is much more valuable, which you would have never found out. So saying no, and then finding strategic ways how to say no, because you can do this constructively as well. That's something we train as well. But it has to come with an, an attitude of, okay, I'm ready to give up something. I strongly believe that's the only way forward. And then you feel immediately liberated. That's what we get as feedback as well. Mm -hmm. so, so looking at those techniques to say, to say no, I mean, do you have any specific examples of, of, of how they of how that can be, be used or specific examples of how people can better say no rather would be a better question? That's a, yeah, no, that's a good. So that is uh, one I always say is you say yes and say no. So yes, no, yes. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you at five o'clock send me an email or call me, oh, Susanna, can you can you write this article for me by tomorrow? I really need it for our social media and I'm really already stressed out. So I say, yes, I'm happy to write this article for you, not by tomorrow morning mm -hmm. because I need to reflect and I have other things to do. So what is the next deadline I can write this for? So what I do there is I say first yes and soften it for you and for myself. Then I say, I will not do what you originally asked me. But I then open a possibility to explore with you, is there more scope? Mm -hmm. that is, then we would already start a dialogue. Or um, there is one technique, we, we train on our courses the replacing but by and, because but cancels out what you said beforehand. So you have a nice t-shirt, but I don't like the color. So how would you feel? you would say, no, she doesn't like my T-shirt. So it, it removes so, the positive element of what you said. Absolutely. So when you now say something negative beforehand, and by the way, that is how the brain works. So that is neuroscience. When the brain doesn't compute negative and positive, it just hears the key message and that is what is, per, is said. So when I say um, something negative, you, for example, I say, I can't, I can't do this now. You get that. And then I neutralize that by saying, but. So I say something negative and then I say, but. So I cancel out what I said beforehand by giving an option. So I mm -hmm. use the but strategically by saying, okay, I can't do this now, but I'm willing to explore with you new dates or what can be done, or do we have something in the archive, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that's that technique. And then there's a technique where you, you semi-agree, 
and then you say what you can't agree with. So you can say, I would love to write this article. Or you're right, we need to write this article. It's really urgent. You mentioned that a couple of times. And I will do that. I want to do this. I can't do this by tomorrow. What can we do? So in a way, the conversation will be always similar, but you use different techniques to soften the no. Mm -hmm. But I need to be very clear before I do that, that I will not write the article by tomorrow. I will not give in. So that is something which I call mental hygiene. I need to have that decided for myself. And I have to accept that you might be angry with me, that you might not like what I say. So I need to detach from what you think. I have no control how you want or choose to feel about me. I have control how I will bring the message to you, but I'm very clear I will not do it by tomorrow. So I think that's what's going on in your mind before you apply that technique. Yeah, so be willing to let go somewhat. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's to accept that another human being might not like you in that moment. Yeah. And, and, and for a lot of people, myself included, that can be quite a difficult thing to get your head around or be comfortable with. But like, like you said before, it's only in or through discomfort can you really make progress. Um, so, so I think just committing to being uncomfortable um, is quite a yeah. bit for people already to take. And also, you say, when we would possibly not have had a dialogue, hadn't I said no. I think no is, for me, always the beginning of a dialogue. Or as lots of hostage negotiators say, the no is the beginning of the negotiation. And I will help you in that moment to think more creatively as well. Because mm -hmm. I offer you something, so I say no, and... I'm still there to explore other other ways. And I think it's for me a great time management tool as well, because as a manager and leader, a lot of people come to you and or people like you who are very smart and reliable, people come to you and say, oh, can you do that for me? Because they know you will deliver high quality. So when you say always yes, so imagine everything you do would be something you put on your shoulder. So you would feel all of that and you will under the burden of all the stuff you said yes to you, you will break mm -hmm. so time management is you give back responsibility and empower people to step up and being accountable for what they can take on rather than coming to you and just finding the quick way so when i say i'm happy to help you with that but you have to do the heavy lifting then we have a deal and I'm out of my accommodating and you're out of your um, victim status as well. So mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's for both parties, something of a learning and a mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully some of these things we've talked about and the, and the three techniques for, for saying no, um, I've helped people think about, well, how can I go away and, and start practicing this immediately in my everyday life, in my personal life, in my professional life. And, and hopefully they'll start start seeing seeing improvements or, or things perhaps going more more favorably for them but this is only um, one part of a sort of six-part series on conflict styles but you know just before we finish discussing accommodating is there anything else you'd like to say about this style or, or people who, who feel like they you know accommodate other people too much I would just 
as someone who went through that experience myself, really do it and feel the massive empowerment afterwards. I think that is what I want to give as a key, especially for young leaders who often don't dare to say something or disagree even with a superior or with a colleague, dare to do it in a respectful, smart way and you will feel a lot better and you will be respected a lot more. And what I would say, you get you get much more from life, from yourself, from others by doing that. Mm-hmm. That would be my final tip. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for your time today, Susanna. Thank you. It was a pleasure.